For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and happy June, and happy Judy Garland Centennial. All this month, we are going to be celebrating Judy Garland. Who or what are you celebrating? I have been a fan of Judy Garland my entire life. No surprise to anyone who knows me. I have been a fan for as long as I could remember. All this month, you will be hearing stories about how Judy Garland was so much a part of my life from my earliest memories. I grew up in the 1960s and 70s. And those of you who grew up at that time, you knew what an exciting time it was each year when the family sat down as a collective unit, grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, all of us sitting around the TV for that once a year showing of The Wizard of Oz. It was only once a year and there were no DVDs, there were no VHS, uh, there was no uh, chance of seeing it on demand at any other time. If you missed it on that once a year showing, you had to wait a year before it would be shown again. And we would all sit together as a family So when I think of The Wizard of Oz and I think of Judy Garland, it always evokes these memories of family. And I always think of Judy and family as intertwined. And so this month, we are going to be talking about all of these memories that she evokes, not only in our own hearts, uh, but she's always there. And the word that I chose for today is simplicity, because it was just those simple moments of our families coming together. The very first book that I got, and I was, believe it or not, I think 10 years old when I got Little Girl Lost. Uh, This was the first book that I got about Judy. And I'm going to start with a montage of Judy, and then we're going to bring on our guest today. Uh, Bear with me uh, while I bring this up. So I've got a video file that I'm going to share here. Uh, So enjoy this. And on the other side, this was put together by my dear friend, Jarrett Morley. And then we will meet our very special guest on the other side. Here it is. Dear, when you smiled at me, I heard a melody. It haunted me from the start. Side of me started a symphony, sing what's the strings of my heart. Was like a breath of spring, I heard a robin sing about a nest set apart. All nature seemed to be in perfect harmony. Strings of my heart. Your eyes made sky seem blue again. What else could I do again? But keep repeating, through and through, I love you, love. 
call a thrill I guess I always will I hope we'll never depart But dear, with your lips to mine Oh, rhapsody divine Sing when the strings of my I seem blue again What else could I do again But keep repeating Through and through I love you Love you I still recall a thrill I guess I always will I hope to never depart Here with your lips to mine Oh, perhaps a deed of Absolutely the best. Just absolutely incredible. Uh, let me remove this from the studio. Uh, but I was eight years old when she passed away. And uh, a lot of you have heard this story in my show. And you will hear this story a lot over the month. Uh, but I was eight years old when I found out that she had passed away. And I literally threw myself on the floor screaming that I could not go on. My mom took me, she shook me, and she said, you don't even know this woman. But I did, because she lived in my heart. And she lives in the heart and the mind and the soul and the voice of our very special guest today. The other night, I had the great pleasure of having Lucy Arnaz on this show. And one of the things that Lucy said that resonated with me was that she talked about the internet and that there's a double-edged sword to the internet. It has its pluses and it has its minuses. And we all know about the minuses. But one of the pluses is that as I was putting this month together, I reached out and our guest, her sister, Dinah, reached out and told me about Becky O'Brien. And when I reached out to Becky and she said, yes, she would love to do the show. And yes, she would help me kick off the month. I was thrilled. Everyone, 
you are in for a treat today, and you're about to find out why. Here she is, Becky O'Brien. Happy little bluebirds fly beyond the expecting that. Your voice is so beautiful, so authentic. It was just so emotional. This is why we love making this show, is to find people like you. And it was fantastic. Sweet with my hand, and as if it were 
Becky O'Brien, I am a fan. Oh, yay. Thank you. Yes, Richard. I am. And you've got a lot of brand new fans right here. Thank oh, you for being here been. today. And I can't think of anyone better to kick off a month celebrating Judy Garland. So I celebrate you today. And who or what are you celebrating? You're in London now, aren't you? I am. I'm here in London, my hometown. And... Uh... This is a big celebratory month for me. Obviously, we've got Judy's 100th birthday next week. And my birthday this Friday, we're only a week apart. We're both Geminis. So that's, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Maybe both. <laughs> no, it's a um, great thing. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of twins circling around. I love this. Yeah. And Mercury Retrograde is ending. Uh, it, it's had its number on me with some of the... <laughs> it's been crazy. So um, you uh, tell us a little bit about some of the shows that are coming up for you, because you've got quite a schedule ahead of you. I have. And um, obviously, at the moment in the UK, we're about to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. So it's a super busy weekend. Um, my sister already started her first gig today. We start gigging tomorrow together. Um, because we still do a harmony act together. So we're doing lots of stuff all weekend. And then um, later in the month, on the 14th of June, I will be doing my show at the Hippodrome in London, which was, of course, the talk of the town. It's one of the last places in London that Judy herself performed. So it is so exciting to be able to celebrate her 100th birthday in a venue where she was herself. So um, there's lots and lots going on. Now, Becky, you're not doing an impersonation of Judy Garland. You are doing no. an, uh, if the, I, I think, uh, an evocation of Judy Garland. Uh, it's definitely a tribute to her. Uh, when did you first realize that you had this gift where you were able to, I mean, your voice is so similar as far as the timbre of the voice and what you're able to evoke on stage. Um, and we're going to go back a little bit, uh, like Judy. You too were born in a trunk. I literally was born in a trunk at the Princess Theatre, but it was the Princess Theatre in Torquay, <laughs> not <laughs> Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> right, exactly. So my dad was playing the Princess Theatre. Um, literally, my mum gave birth to me, and within days, when we came out of hospital, they used to use the bottom drawer in the dresser in the dressing room, put towels down, and that was my crib backstage. Um, I hope they didn't close the drawer. <laughs> No, no, no. Maybe just when I was crying. So I really was brought up in a show business family. My dad was a singer and a comedian. He was in a double act, a very successful double act. Um, so I was brought up, you know, with lots of stars and celebrities around me. My mum was a dancer and a choreographer. So all I knew was theatre and stage, and that's what I wanted to do. I knew from day one. And my first time on stage, very similar to Judy, I was two years old. Um, my family um, had produced a big charity event. Um, and it was actually, it was something to do with Princess Diana. And um, it was actually a bodybuilding show, but they were raising money for a hospice. So I sat and watched the event with my nan and granddad. My dad was the compere. And while the judges were adding up the scores, they said, why don't we get some of the kids up on stage, you know, do a little <laughs> sing a song, do mm -hmm. a dance. Say a poem. 
So he goes along the line asking everyone their names and I'm at the end and there's me, tiny me, because I am, you know, about this big. This is actual size. <laughs> um, and he comes to me and he says, oh, what's your name? And of course, on the microphone, I said, well, you know my name, Daddy. So everyone howls laughing. And then I got bored listening to everyone else. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to copy what all the bodybuilders were doing. So there's two-year-old me literally striking a pose. And then, you know, the music started. They start clapping and that was it. Couldn't get me off the stage after that. That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I start my shows with a surprise question. So I'm going to start with the surprise question that I haven't looked at tonight. And the question is, if you could have any fictional character as your friend, who would you choose and why? Let's let's since it's Judy's birthday, let's choose a fictional character from one of her movies. So if if any of the characters that Judy Garland played on screen could be a friend of yours, who would that character be and why? Judy as a character or one of her co-stars? Uh, one of her the characters that she played. Oh my goodness! Oh oh, which character? Oh, this is a hard one. Oh. Because my character, fav- I, I don't know, uh, Manuela in The Pirate. Yeah. Wow. One of my favorites. I know, it's a very obscure choice, but um, I love The Pirate. Oh, it's one of my favorite movies. I think she's hilarious in it. She's so fun and such a good actress. And it really does make me laugh out loud. So I feel like Manuela would be a fun person to be around. <laughs> and do you do any of the songs from The Pirate? I have done in the past, yeah. There's some fantastic music in there. Um, it's just not very well known to people who don't know. <laughs> so um, it's not sort of one of her mainstream songs so, um, or musicals. So, But there's some beautiful stuff in there. You know, Makoko, Makoko. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite lines, and it cracks me up every time, is when she says, he asked for me. <laughs> when all the other women are there and it, it, he asked for me. Um, when did you first become aware of Judy Garland? So again, around the age of two or three, I saw The Wizard of Oz, as we yes. all did. And yes. I was just mesmerized. But bizarrely, I loved Dorothy. I loved, obviously, I didn't know it was Judy at that point. It was just Dorothy. But bizarrely, I actually wanted to play the Wicked Witch. <laughs> So I used to make my granddad pretend to be Dorothy so I could be the Wicked Witch. Good for you. Wow. Well, um, it's interesting. You know, I'm older than you, much older than you are. No. And, yes, yes. But And I grew up, like I said, at a time, uh, it, and it's it's probably hard for you to even, even fathom what that was like, waiting a year for this film to come on. And I used to get the TV guide and there was a section in the TV guide and it was the there were these yellow pages and I would comb th- those yellow pages because it would announce when the next showing of The Wizard of Oz would be. Um, and I lived for that film. Everyone, I even, can you tell? Look at this. <laughs> um, every, you know, it, it's still, you know, to this day, everyone knew that that was my movie. And most kids lived for Christmas and Easter and Halloween every year, The Wizard of Oz coming on. And if any of my aunts or uncles or anyone heard that it was going to be coming on TV, they would call me immediately and say, it's on your calendar. You got to put it down because I lived for that moment every year. People still do that now for me if it's on TV. Um, and bizarrely, I do remember that to some extent. So when I was younger, again, it played every Christmas. 
Um, but we did have a video machine at that point. So we used to record it when it was on and I would wear that video out. I literally would rewind every scene and I would watch every movement that Judy made. And I would literally follow from the way she smiled to the way she might raise her eyebrow to every nuance. I was just in love with it. Um, and then I, because I loved that, my dad started, they did a whole series of showing the old Judy films and the Judy and Mickey stuff and the MGM stuff. and. So he started to record all of the films for me, thinking, well, she might like some of these too. And that was it. I was hooked. So I'd sit there and I'd, I'd literally lay out fruit, pretending, you know, the Our Love Affair sequence and strike up the band? Yes, of course. And I'd pretend to be conducting the fruit. And I was, I was a complete geek. I was a Judy geek from being very young. And my first book was given to me. It was actually a picture book. It's the Judy and Liza book. And it was given to me for my sixth birthday. Is that the James 30, Spada? James Spada? 36 years yeah. ago on Friday. <laughs> so that was my first book. And I just, I would have combed through the pages in every photo. And then I remember having my first records. And I would literally, my nan used to have one of those standing ashtrays, the very sort of 60s style standing ashtrays. And I would make sure that was clean. And I would get a microphone and stick it in top and pretend that was my mic stand and pretend I was there recording alongside Judy. I was just hooked. And I can't explain why I just was. There was something about her. I found her funny and I found her endearing and she just drew me in. And I think when I got to about four or five years old, I said to my mom, I want to go and meet her. I want to see her. And my mom had to say to me, sweetheart, the Judy you see on TV, unfortunately, isn't alive anymore. And like you, I cried for hours. And it was like a close relative had died. And I sobbed and sobbed. And my mum my used to say I was a very morbid child. She said, when most kids wanted to go to Disneyland, you were like, well, I need to go and see Judy's grave because I need to, that's what I need to do. And she said it was bizarre because you were so young, but you were so, you know, it had torn your heart out to find out this person had passed away because she was your life. <laughs> that That is so, I, I thought I was the only one. Um, <laughs> If my mom's watching, so now she knows that I was not the only one. Um, I'm looking over your shoulder. I see some of your collection. When did you start collecting Garland memorabilia? Well, so um, I collected lots of the books and records initially when I was younger. And then everyone, as you said, all of my friends knew I was hooked on Judy. And I remember when I was around 15, 16, the Warner Brothers store started to do some Wizard of Oz memorabilia. So when it would come to my birthday, everyone would buy me Wizard of Oz stuff. So, I mean, I have got so much stuff that is packed away, has still never been put on display because I'm too scared to get it out. I have got cookie jars and pictures and a Monopoly set. And on my birthday, I said it was my 18th birthday. And I said to everyone, you can all wash your hands and we will play this game once and it will never leave the box again. And it never has. It's still pristine in the box. It went away and that was it. Um, I've literally got all sorts and um, the Harrods copy of the Ruby slippers. I, someone bought me those for a birthday a few years back and all sorts of things, um, which is so wonderful. And I was actually thinking I maybe now's a good time from this month. I might start to do some little video clips for everyone to see all of that stuff because it seems a shame to keep it hidden away. Um, but I just never really had the space to kind of put it on display. Plus I have lots of children with greasy hands. <laughs> so, 
Well, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I asked for a photograph of you as a kid. And because, like I said earlier, you did, I mean, you truly are that kid that was born in a trunk. And you did send this photograph. And I mean, I just see such innocence in this kid. Uh, I think I brought up the, uh, I, no, I did not. Uh, I'm going to pull up the photograph in a moment. But this is, I love this photograph. Here you are on stage with Lorna Loft. How did yeah. this come about? So in 2015, I had had a few years out of performing and um, basically a gentleman who I had worked for years beforehand in America, produces shows, contacted me to say, I'm going to be putting on um, a show, a Judy Garland show with Lorna Luft. And it started off, would you come and be the vocal coach for the show? And so I said, yeah, sure. And he said, I don't know anyone that knows Judy music the way you do. Would you come and coach? So I turned up at the London audition and it was like a comedy sketch. If you can imagine every type of Judy <laughs> in the hallways queued up to audition, they were there. <laughs> we had everything from sort of pigskin parade up to the concert years. You know, they were all there in different hair and makeup, practicing different Judy songs. And I'd just gone in dressed as myself. And I was like, hi, it's so good to see you. I hadn't seen him for years. And he had lots of people on the panel that I hadn't met before. And he said, oh, will you do me a favor and just sing a couple of Judy songs so they understand why I've called you in? So I was like, yeah, sure. So he said to me, Becky, will you sing Over the Rainbow? Can you do that one? And I said, if I can't sing that by now, I need to give up. <laughs> so I start singing and he starts crying. And he said, well, now I've got a problem because you blow the socks off of anyone else we've seen. What do I do to get you on the tour? So initially, there was this sort of question over whether I was going to vocal coach or was I going to do it because I had five young children in tow um, and I hadn't performed on stage for quite a long time. And then came the opportunity to do Britain's Got Talent. So before I was in the show, Britain's Got Talent came up and I was asked to be part of that. And I sort of ummed and ah, did I want to do it, didn't I? And my son, Jack, said to me, Mum, you always tell us if we want to do something, we have to try. And he said, plus, I think you should show Simon Cow how it's done. <laughs> So I was like, okay, so off I went thinking I might do the audition and that would be the end of it. And of course, it actually spiraled and I got some lovely responses from the audience that watched and I went to the live finals. And then I got to go into the Songbook of Judy in the West End. So I worked with Lorna and spent lots of time with her and an amazing cast. And it honestly was wonderful. And the jacket behind me was actually bought one for everyone in the cast by Lorna Luft and Arlene Phillips who was the artistic director. So only eight people in the cast have this jacket. That's amazing. I did get the photograph up. So here it is. And there you are. Look at you. I mean, I mean, the innocence in, every, in that face, I just love it so much. Um, I, I do want to mention the fact that one of the things that I also love about you, um, and I have fallen in love with you, Becky, I have to tell you Aww. that, um, is the work that you're doing for domestic abuse and yeah. the fact that you are out there doing all of that work as well. Uh, today is uh, Don't Give Up the Ship Day. Um, there's a great song by David Friedman, which would be a great song for you, by the way. I don't know if you know the song. Okay. And if you don't know the song, I'm going to send it to you. Perfect. Uh, because, <laughs> yes, I would love for you to sing the song. And when you sing it, I want you to send it to me or come back on the show and sing it. Uh, David Friedman, great songwriter. He wrote it for Nancy Lamott. And uh, it's called Don't Give Up the Ship. And uh, today is Don't Give Up the Ship Day. And of course, I am a skipper. So uh, it's perfect that you're here today. Um, but 
you took a bad situation and you turned it into lemonade, uh, you made lemonade out of it. Uh, when a lot of people could have been knocked up. Uh, do you want to talk about a moment about yeah. that? Because uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down that path, but if you can, because you have your life's work and I think it's wonderful that you do what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so really, I guess the reason that came to light was actually because of Britain's Got Talent. I had, unfortunately, um, my first marriage was, he was very abusive, um, physically, emotionally. If you can think of it, it happened. Um, and it was hard to exit that marriage um, safely. I managed to do that. And it was actually three years after the exit that I got asked to do Britain's Got Talent. And, you know, these shows, they want to know every skeleton in your cupboard. And they said to me, are you prepared to talk about this? And I said, well, I am, but I'm not a sob story. I'm not going on there going, I wrote a song because my hamster died. And, you know, that isn't me. And so I, I quite openly said, this is what happened, but I'm here now and I'm okay. Because I want people to know that you can get out safely. There are things you can do. There is help out there and you can live a life afterwards. Um, safety, of course, comes first, but there is something to live for. And actually, I would say that that's one of the things, I guess, after through all those years of reading and watching Judy, one of the things that you can't help but take from her life is pick yourself up, brush yourself up and start all over again. And so that's exactly what I did. And for me, if I could tell my story and if it could help one other person, then it was worth it. Um, because like you say, you can't change things that happened in your past. We don't have control over that, but we do have some element of control over what happens in our future. And we all have something in our life and that may be abuse, uh, it may be um, disease or it may be bereavement or financial, it could be anything. How you deal with what is presented to you is really what matters, I think. So if I can take what happened to me, that's something that was negative and make it positive for someone else, then it, was, it wasn't for nothing. Well, God bless you. There's a great story that Jack Parr told that once he went to visit Judy, he was having lunch with her and he showed up and as he pulled up, there were moving vans. Do you know this story? I don't know and if I do. The moving vans were, they were repossessing her furniture. It was just one of those low points in her life. And as he pulled up and he, like the moving vans were taking everything she owned and taking them out. And one of the maids or one of the uh, people working in the home came out and they, she was crying and she said, oh my God, Mr. Parr, what are we gonna do? They're taking everything she owns. And Judy comes down the stairs wearing this huge picture hat with huge flowers on it and looking like she didn't have a care in the world. And he said, Judy, what is going on? And she walked down the stairs and she said, you know, Jack, behind every cloud is another cloud. Let's eat. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> and, and so you just have to get on with it. But I, um, you have five children. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and in the midst of all this, you're having a career and everything. Again, if you don't mind my asking, um, when you're in an abuse, and I ask this for those who are watching, who may think that there is no way out, did the abuse start right away or was this something that developed later in life? I mean, I grew up in a household with an abusive father 
Okay. And uh, and his abuse, his abuse came out of alcohol. And mm -hmm. uh, it took me many years to be able to say it was the alcohol who caused him to do what he did. Um, but I don't think of myself as a tragic figure that came through that. Um, and I don't think of myself as a victim that came through that. Um, I'm able to talk about it now openly. And as it was just an aspect of a period in my life that I went through. Um, you also, but have taken this mantle and you have, you deal with working with so many other women who have gone yeah. through similar situations. Women um, and men, I'm just going to point out, and, men and women that I deal with. Um, I'm the survivor ambassador for women's aid in the UK, which is one of the largest domestic abuse charities. That was the first post I took on after Britain's Got Talent. And, I would speak at their conferences, several different conferences where I've helped train the police in coercive control. I've been to Parliament and helped change the law on safe child contact. Um, all sorts of things. And um, for me, people find it strange. I remember I never really read what people write about things online, if that makes sense, because you always get the trolls and you just think, oh, it's not, you know, yes. it's not important. Um, but my sister would get hooked up on some of these things. And somebody said once, I can't believe this woman's talking about being in an abusive relationship in front of her children. And people would say to me, why aren't you angry at that? And I said, because do you know what? I'm glad that she's naive enough to not realize that my children lived through that too. Um, so actually, if I can tell my story and help educate people and help them to understand what being in that situation actually looks like, then maybe people can start to realise there are things that all of us can do to help. So it may be that you could be talking to someone at the checkout in the store and you think, oh, my gosh, this person's telling me something because they're trying to reach out. And lots of people used to have the opinion, oh, well, it's nothing to do with me. Well, actually, if someone's reaching out, they are calling for, for help. And it might just be saying, you know, if you need something, message me. Here's a number. Is there anything I can do? It could be as simple as that, just feeling that someone's there to help take your hand when you're ready to reach out. Um, but as you said, I think that we have to take what happens to us and say, well, that was a negative time and it's something that happened. And I'm still here, thank God, to tell the story. Um, and actually in lockdown, of course, for all of us performers, you know, everything stops in it instantly. Um, I was actually living in New York at that point and was in my second marriage. I think I took and you didn't call me. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there and um, I, I think I took Judy's run of marriages as a challenge to beat or something because, yeah, I don't have much luck in love either. Yeah. But um, I, I was married. Unfortunately, um, he had a problem with alcohol too. Hence, I left. Um, we're actually very good friends now, and he's recovering, and that's great. Thank God. But, um, Thank God. but it is what it is. And so I came back here, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, I literally came back with my kids in tow and our bags of clothes, no work because all performing work had stopped, nowhere to live back in the UK. I went, okay, just start over again. It's fine. And so we did. And then I found us somewhere to live, and I thought, right, what can I do? because obviously there's no singing work, there's no theatres, there's no cruise ships, there's no cabaret. I can put into use all of these years of voluntary work that I've done for the domestic abuse sector. So for a year, I worked as an advocate for families who suffered fatal domestic abuse. Um, 
and I did that from home in lockdown um, at a time where obviously unfortunately people in that situation it heightened it was really did impact oh. people people so are not very... aware but you know it's interesting I, I lead a book group and the book that we are reading now is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book but she talks in the book about shame and uh, this is still one of those areas that when people are going through abuse uh, it's still a stigma that people are ashamed to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, did you go through that phase of shame as well? Yeah. And if so, what got through you the shame for you that allowed you to be able to go public uh, and be able to talk about it? I think it came the other way around, actually. So I, I think what happens when you're in that situation, the perpetrator of abuse absolutely makes it their task to make you feel shame to make you feel guilty, to make you feel that you are the one at fault, you're pushing my buttons, it's your fault you do this. You do. And you are literally brainwashed and gaslighted into believing that that is true. And that is a slow process, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes what starts off as things that are caring and suddenly they become controlling. So, you know, oh, sweetheart, I'll come and pick you up from there. You don't need to get a cab, don't get a lift, I'll get you. And then another time, well, where are you going? I'm going to pick you up, you're not going on your own. And suddenly, you know, the, the dynamic changes, it shifts. And when you exit, once you realise you're in a safe environment, it takes time to recognise what happened to you because you're in survival mode while it's happening. And that's why so many victims have PTSD when they leave because their body mm -hmm. starts to react to what it should have reacted to while it was happening mm -hmm. and I suffered from that myself and it was actually when Britain's Got Talent happened and I had to say out loud to millions of people this happened to me it was after that that I started to realize oh my god this happened and it was like I was just on you know autopilot keep going just keep going just keep going and then I was talking one day at a conference and the first few conferences, I remember feeling people would say to me, oh, you're so inspirational. You're such an inspiration. And I would think, I don't feel like an inspiration. I just feel like a normal person. And it felt like pressure to be all happy and dandy all the time, showbiz Becky. And I thought, that's not how I feel. And one day I was there with a room full of social workers and police and lawyers talking to them. And I said, you know, I've been listening all day about what amazing work you're doing and I congratulate you on that. However, there are still things that we are not addressing and we need to look at what's not working, not just what is working. Um, and at the time, unfortunately, my ex-husband had started a bit of an online stalking campaign after Britain's Got Talent. So that was really triggering as well. And um, it was then that I thought, actually, do you know what? And I started crying as I was speaking to people. And I remember saying to them, I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable with me crying, but you should be uncomfortable with me crying. Because if this doesn't bother you, you're working in the wrong area. And I am allowed to cry because how dare somebody do that to me and my children? How dare they? If, I had, if I had been the victim of a car accident, touch wood, that never happens, or got run over by a bus, there would be no stigma attached because I'm a victim of something happened to me. Well, this happened to me. I didn't choose for it to happen. It happened. And I came through it. And I shouldn't feel that I'm the one that can't talk about it. In fact, the more we stay silent, the more we make it easy for perpetrators to carry on their abuse. So we have to say, this is happening. Maybe it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but it's happening and it's been happening for years and it's time it stopped. 
Well, God bless you. You are such an inspiration. Uh, and thank you. And thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being vocal about it. And thank you for coming out of the shadows and, you know, putting a light on it. So thank you for that. No, um, as we can see up in the corner, we have Esther Blodgett, Vicki Lester. I asked you for uh, your uh, a favorite image of yours. That's also one of my favorite uh, images. Uh, when they restored A Star is Born, I was lucky enough to go to Radio City Music Hall when they uh, had the restored version. Um, oh, wow. Why this image that you chose? I think, apart from it being a gorgeous image, I think there is something so hopeful in her face, in her eyes. It feels like it comes from her heart out. And it's like, you know, you know that that is at a time where she's left MGM. A Star is Born, again, is that new start to something, something that could be. And I think you can see that in the picture. And obviously, again, as we've just said, for me, that is, you know, when something doesn't work out, look forward to the next thing. And when that doesn't work out, we'll look forward to the next thing. Um, and I've certainly had my share of <laughs> things that don't work out. Oh. But, you know, without the, rainbow, without the rainbow, there's no rainbow. So, <laughs> so I is there a particular phase of her career that resonates the most with you? Oh. I mean, for me, it's such a bizarre thing because aside from absolutely loving her as an artist and being besotted with her from being a child I guess different phases of my life there's been weird echoes of things that have happened in my life that kind of almost overlap with hers mm. um so I can find something in every phase of her life and as I get older myself I find myself relating more and more and more to those things and I think one of the things maybe actually you know those final sort of 10 years when we, if we look back at the real innocent Judy singing over the rainbow on the Wizard of Oz, it's a beautiful, beautiful voice and a pretty hopeful young girl. But still, after everything, when you watch her sing, she sings differently with different heart to what she's saying. But it's like, I know these things happen, but that's still looking forward, something else, something else. I don't feel like she ever really lost that spirit and even speaking with Lorna I remember Lorna telling me about times you know when they would be living in hotels in London and Judy couldn't pay the bill so she she said but everyone sees her mum as this tragic person but she was never a tragic person she was mm -hmm. actually a really funny person and she mm -hmm. did her best as a mother to keep her children's spirits up and I can really relate to that even when bad things happen going okay guys come on let's keep going let's keep going and she used to say to Lorna and Joe, right, we're going to have a competition. Let's see how many clothes we can put on and who can run out of the hotel first. <laughs> so I, I find that, you know, just uh, admirable. Okay, well, this isn't going to work. So let's go. Let's try something else. Um, but every single phase, there's there have been things, you know, from being the child, the young two-year-old on stage and then working with my sisters in a harmony act and doing the films and things together and then being a soloist and, relationships not working out and you know tragic things happening but having to go okay what's next let's go parallel lives it's just amazing so tell us a little bit about uh a garland for judy your cd which yeah. somebody is going to be lucky enough to win and you're going to send the cd to them and uh and you'll sign it for them i think of you'll course i them. will of course yes. I will. so the, we're going to uh, there it is and i'm going to 
Uh, I'm going to put uh, this here, Simplicity. There's Judy in the background smiling down on us. <laughs> um, so all you need to do is put hashtag Simplicity, and we're going to do our wind down questions uh, in a moment. But tell us a little bit about the CD and what inspired you in terms of the songs that you chose for the CD. Well, obviously, after doing the songbook of Judy, I had, it was very bizarre, running up to Britain's Got Talent. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. And I'm here. I write a gratitude journal, especially if I'm feeling down. I think, right, okay, things aren't working out. What am I grateful for? And, you know, I do sort of focus forward on what I want to happen. And it was really strange for me because when I did Britain's Got Talent, I was like, oh, do I want to go further in Britain's Got Talent or do I want to be in the Judy musical? And I loved doing Britain's Got Talent. But for me, my heart was I want to be in the Judy show. So I kept writing, I'm going to be Judy. I'm going to be Judy. I'm going to be Judy. And bizarrely, I don't know how many jobs following that Britain's Got Talent. I mean, everything really since has been something to do with Judy. So I did the songbook of Judy. I went, then went on tour uh, with Putting on the Ritz in the UK and I did a whole Judy section in there. Um, then I was in a Sinatra Centennial tour and did all of the Judy songs because, of course, her and Frank were so close throughout their lives. So I did a big section as a guest star in that. Then they created a show called The Rat Pack and Judy and I played Judy in that. Um, then I played Little Voice, which is a fantastic show. Oh, I love this. I, just, yeah. And so I played Elvie and got to do my Judy impersonation, actually push the impersonation more. And of course, you know, Streisand and Karen Carpenter and Liza Minnelli and Ethel Merman and all the other ones. Um, and then I got asked to go and do a showcase um, because somebody said to me, oh, my God, they would love you on the ships. And I said, I can't go on a ship for nine months. I've got five children. And they said, no, no, no. As a fly on act, you go on for a week or two and you come home. And I thought, well, that sounds okay. I can do this. And they said, what show would you do? And immediately I said, well, the show I've always wanted to do it would be a tribute to Judy and her life and her music. So I started, I had years ago put something together called A Garland for Judy, and it was a potted version that I performed at the London Palladium when I was around 21. And I thought, right, I'm going to expand on this. So I created my act and got all of my music charts together. And off I went sailing around the world for the last few years until we were locked down. Um, and so, yeah, the choice of songs really came from my show. Um, and I thought I hadn't ever thought of recording it. And people kept saying to me, oh, you know, you're very similar to Judy, but not the same. And we'd love to have a CD of you singing. So I thought, OK, and off I went to New York and I recorded it. And uh, that's where it came from. Um, then when I was living in New York, I got to do my Judy show at the Laurie Beachman Theatre, which uh, was amazing. I've um, shows there. It's such a great place. So, so lovely. Um, and touch wood, I was due to have a whole USA tour and that got postponed because of COVID. And so we're just waiting on the details of that. Hopefully is going to be happening within the next year as well. So everyone keep your fingers crossed for me. You're coming, you're going to be doing a USA tour? Hopefully, yeah. That's what we're waiting on. We're Will trying to get that one. Will when that happens? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, that'll be great. So yeah. uh, here are the, uh, our wind down questions. And uh, the first question is, what took energy away from you this week? What took energy away from your artistic bent? <laughs> I very briefly said to you, Richard, before we started this past week has literally been like, you know, when you have those days where you say, what did I do wrong in a previous life? Mercury retrograde. <laughs> and, oh, it literally, I, first of all, I was due to get on a ship last week. And just before I joined the ship, 
um, a cash machine swallowed my card up because it was a faulty machine. And then I was panicking how I was going to get onto the ship without my card. And then I had to go to the USA embassy for something and couldn't make a payment because I didn't have the card. Then I thought, right, I got onto the ship and I was on the Emerald Princess, which is a beautiful ship. Did my first show, fantastic. <laughs> In my second show, I was talking to the audience and I was so into talking to the audience, I completely lost my footing. And as we would say in England, I went arse over tit in the middle of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Just, one minute I was standing and the next minute I didn't even know I'd fallen. So I tripped over one of the monitors. So I, if you can imagine, there's a, a speaker and my head is down and my legs are up which is great when you're wearing a dress. That's really what you want to be doing. And I felt like it took forever to stand up. But all of the audience said to me, I've never seen anyone stand up so quick. They said, as quick as you hit the deck, you brought back up again. <laughs> so Becky, I got bruises all over me. So yeah, that drained me a little bit. This week. <laughs> believe it or not, for a brief moment in my life, I performed as Judy as well, believe it or oh, not. Really? And I performed in Atlantic City. And the same thing happened to me in front of 1,500 people. I fell over one of the monitors and I, and they had these huge TV screens on both sides of, because the arena was so large that we were performing in. And I went right on my tuchus, as they say, with my <laughs> legs up in the air. <laughs> It's just the craziest thing. Maybe it's something that Judy does to us when, you know. So. I know. Right? <laughs> well, there is a saying in show business, if you fall on the stage, it's supposed to be good luck because you'll return to the stage. Yes. So um, I'm going with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, what is, uh, I asked Lucy this, this the other night, and she got a huge laugh out of it. What is the biggest thing that you've ever stolen? Oh. Oh, my goodness. I. I don't think I've ever stolen anything. Good for you. Good for you. I have never stolen anything, but I'm going to let you into a secret. This was given to me, but this is the only thing I can think of, and it's very relevant. So when I was on um, a few years ago, I was performing on the Cunard ship, the Queen Mary, and it was a special Judy cruise. So they had um, a silent auction on board, and Michael Stewart was there with his collection, and it was before the L.A. auction happened for the Hollywood icons a few years ago. So I was on board and Michael Stewart was about to do his talk. I'd already performed my show. And he said to me, Becky, um, how would you feel about wearing one of Judy's costumes? I've never seen it on a real person because I'm basically the same size as she was. I mean, I think I'm an inch smaller. So um, neither of us ever made five foot. And um, I, I thought, well, yeah. So I don't know if you remember, she had a very iconic outfit which was a kind of cream top and a slim skirt with beading all over it and she wore it um i think on her fourth marriage on her wedding day she worked for the ed sullivan show she wore it um on her tv shows she wore it at the palladium with liza and they asked me if i would wear the top to model it as a life model so i put this top on and i literally was so scared to move because it's all beaded but of course it's starting to deteriorate with age so I'm on stage and I'm trying not to cry because I thought you can't get mascara on this top. <laughs> so I come off and Michael Bush was the person in charge of all of the costumes. Now, Michael Bush used to design all of the costumes for Michael Jackson and he used to dress Elizabeth Taylor. So, I mean, he is just a legend in his own right. And he put the costumes back onto the mannequins, back in the cases and everything was great. And then we went up to the Friends of Dorothy group in the evening and Michael said to me 
close your uh, close your eyes put out your hand and don't look until you leave <laughs> I was like well that's the weirdest proposition I've ever had <laughs> so I put my hand out and he's I said what is it and he said when I was dressing one of the mannequins one of the beads fell off of Judy's top and they told me to get rid of it and I thought well I could throw it away or I could give it to someone that I know it would mean the world to and I still to this day have it in my jewelry box good for you that's that that's a great story I love that <laughs> Um, do you think, uh, my next question is, do you think a lot of people really know Judy Garland today? And when I say this, the real Judy Garland, the person that was off stage? I think that, unfortunately, um, one of the reasons that I don't impersonate her is because I think that I, I respect what she did in its own right. And I just try to bring her music to people now just to celebrate what she was about and what she did and I think unfortunately there have in recent years been a well always been a huge focus and a fatal fascination about the tragedy in her life and within that it has always focused hugely on well she was drinking she was taking drugs and that's the first thing if you speak to someone who's not a big Judy fan that's the first thing they seem to go to thank you for saying that you're absolutely right and That's why I find that really that. sad That's because definitely right. I, I just think, you know, of course, I never had the privilege of meeting her, but working with Lorna and watching her on the screen for all of those years, as you said, you do feel her coming across the screen. And, and you know, there is so much more to this person than a couple of things that happened to her. Um, and like you said, you know, the way she dealt with things, but they don't know that. So I quite often will sit with audience members and get into conversations and say, but did you know this? And did you know this is what happened? And they're really quite fascinated by it. Um, I, if I'm honest, I was a bit sad when I watched the latest film. I tried to watch it very objectively and I said, right, okay, don't compare it to other things from before. But I thought, well, it's a, and I know it is an artistic take on what happened. But again, I thought, oh, you focused so much on negative rather than seeing the talent that this person was. And the music and the joy she's brought to people, people don't remember someone the way they remember Judy for no reason. And that's the bit I feel like people miss so many times. And I can understand completely why her family feel that way. And they say, mm -hmm. you know, this show focused on the drink and this, you know, and they get bored of that because that's not who she is. That's not what she is. And if you are a true fan, you know that there's way more. So I would love, if anything, I think for me, if I can just bring that to sort of, you know, another generation and say, look at this music, it stands the test of time. And there's this amazing woman who did all these amazing things. And she was super talented and super funny and an amazing actress and, you know, died years before she should have, but she was amazing and wonderful. And if I can, again, get other people to watch and enjoy that in that way, then I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> well, you certainly are succeeding in that. Um there are a lot of people out there who perform uh, tributes to Judy. Um, is there someone out there that you have a little bit of envy for? And I mean that in a respectful way. Oh, uh, well, yes, yeah. someone out there yes. who you go, oh my God, is that person really wonderful at what she does? Yes. And I don't even have to think about it. So, um, and I've spoken with her and um, during lockdown, my sister and I did lots of online shows 
to keep people entertained when everybody was locked down. And we did collaboration shows around Christmas time. And we asked this lady to take part because I said, oh, my God, this woman is amazing at what she does. And that's Debbie Wellman. And everyone, she's going to be on this show on the Yay! 8th. Amazing. She's here on the 8th. So everybody tune in. So yeah, absolutely. I remember I was still in New York. So it was very early days of lockdown. And I was on Facebook, as we all were, because there was nothing to do. And somebody shared this video of this girl, you know, with a black wig and a, I think she had a blue shirt on singing The Man That Got Away. And I was like, wow, this girl can really do an impersonation of Judy. Um, and I carried on watching her. And I, I was so mesmerized. I actually messaged Debbie and said, hi, I know you have no idea who I am. But at some point, I would love if I'm doing a show in London or, you know, if it's possible, would you come and sing on the show with me? Because I was just in awe. I thought, oh, my God, she's amazing. And there are times, I have to be honest, when I listen to Debbie sing, I look away and think that could be a recording of Judy. It's fantastic. Um, never she, take has that new, she has a new recording coming out. She's yeah. about to do a, a tour throughout the States. And I'm seeing her in Provincetown on the 26th. Oh, so, well, I said hi. I'll I will. I'm, just, I'm definitely going to send her this so that she can see this. So that's wonderful. Um, out of everything that you've done, um, is there one particular moment that you've had on stage that just jumps out as, wow? I mean, of course, you, uh, you've had that moment with Simon Cowell that you go, you pinch yourself going, I can't believe this happened. Actually, yes. Now, bizarrely, it's not a solo moment for me. It was when, um, in 2005, myself and two of my sisters, Dinah and my other sister, Maria, we were in the film Mrs. Henderson Presents with Dame Judi Dench. It was an amazing experience. And we worked with Bob Hoskins. And we were asked after the film to perform alongside one of the other actors in the film, which um, he's a UK pop star here called Will Young. And he was asked by the BBC to be part of the big VE Day celebrations in Trafalgar Square. So he'd gone to the musical director and composer of the film and said, I need to do some bits for this 1940s thing. What do I do? And George Fenton, who um, wrote the music for Dances with Wolves and Dangerous Liaisons and Mrs. Henderson, he said, well, there are three girls that I can think of and they're the only three girls I can think of that can do this style. You've got to ask the O'Brien sisters. So we get a phone call from Will Young. Come and do this concert with me. We're going to sing Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy together. So... We were like, yeah, great. Didn't, re didn't really know what we were saying yes to. And then we turned up and there were all sorts of celebrities. And Dame Vera Lynn was there, which was amazing. Um, and so we go on stage. We did the sound check, which was hilarious. So it's live in Trafalgar Square. They create a stage in front of the National Gallery. And so it was empty, really, just people passing by while we did sound check. And I had my hair in curlers with a huge scarf on. <laughs> Not very glamorous at all. And then it came to the night and then they called us on stage. We had to run on, put our backs to the audience. And we had in-ear monitors because, of course, they're expecting it to be loud. There were 25,000 people there live and it was live on the BBC. And as we ran out, they were cheering and screaming so much. I had to knock my in-ears out because I couldn't hear the music. All I could hear was the cheering coming back through. So I'm facing the BBC orchestra and it's a full orchestra. So straight away when they start playing Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, it's just this amazing sound. And I will never forget, I was standing there so nervous and I thought, don't be nervous, just enjoy it. Don't be nervous, just enjoy it. And as I turned, 
or you could see were people as far as the eye would see all down the streets of London, all waving their flags, cheering. It was amazing. The the feeling, it just gave me goosebumps. And I will never forget that moment on stage. Incredible. God bless you. Um, what is the single best piece of advice that you have ever received in this business? Don't take it personally. <laughs> because that's, I, that's I the everybody keeps saying that absolutely yeah because you know I think I must have gone to I actually wanted to be a dancer when I was younger I didn't want to be a singer um I was desperate to be a dancer but no one wanted a four foot nine show girl so, <laughs> so it was plan b but um I went to audition after audition after audition when I was old you know as a kid it's fine if you're small but when you're an adult suddenly they're like well you're not tall enough we love you but you're not tall enough you're fantastic but you're not tall enough and I really did get to the point where I was like, oh, my God, how do I not take this personally? And my mum said, look, just go to one more casting. I think I'd done over 100 castings that year. And I was getting recall after recall. But then at the last minute, we can't find anyone to match you. We can't. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And then finally, I went to this audition. And this was actually for the man who eventually put me into the Songbook of Judy. And he was auditioning for a show which originally was supposed to be in Chichester. And I was number 353 in the queue. Oh. <laughs> it was a cattle call audition. And he called, I went in and I actually sang The Greatest Star from Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. And we got about halfway through and I got up to, up to um, hey, Mr. Arnstein, here I am. And then they went, okay, thank you. And I said, okay, oh, thanks. And they went, oh, we want to call you back. So I said, okay. And this guy comes over. I had no idea who he was. And he said, I'm so sorry. I don't suppose you know the song Over the Rainbow by any chance, do you? <laughs> and um, I, I, then he called me back and I sang for 45 minutes in my recall nonstop. And he said, um, well, we were going to use you in Chichester, but actually we'd like to fly you to the States. Um, how soon can you leave? And I said, well, tomorrow if you want. And he said, how soon can you get me your passport? And I reached into my audition bag and went, there you go. And that was it. It was my first professional job as an adult over in the States. And I worked in Myrtle Beach. And then I came my home. That's my hometown. What? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was at the Palace Theatre when it was there in Myrtle oh Beach. Oh, my God. I know the Palace Theatre very well. So my so first song you, in you that played show. The stage, I just, you, played the, you played the Palace. I played the Palace. And <laughs> so, yeah, this is the thing. Wow. Weird thing. So I, I went out there and my first number that I used to do in the show was, I'm just a Broadway baby walking off my tired feet. And I thought, well, this is true. <laughs> was that Legends that you were doing at the Palace? No. So Legends was up the road. We did um, The Spirit of Broadway. Okay. So Spirit of the Dance was the re resident show there. And then they decided to bring a Broadway style show in. So that was the first time the company had ever employed singers. And um, so, yeah, there was a little old me. I think I was like 21, 22. And like um, I love Myrtle Beach. Oh, Loved it. Oh. <laughs> and then I went from Myrtle back onto European tour. And then I was out in Brunson for about a year. Um, and I met Andy Williams and Bobby Vinton. And so I was actually in Bobby's old theatre. Um, and it was just fantastic time. Wonderful. Oh, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> is there anyone in this business that you haven't worked with that you would really <laughs> love to work with? Uh, oh is, there, uh, is there like a, a bucket list or a dream person in this business that you really, I mean, uh, I believe in manifestation. You've already mentioned that. Uh, I believe in it as well. And I want to manifest that you're going to work with this person. I would love to do 
a night singing with Michael Feinstein? I wrote to Michael literally before you came on this show because no. I want I want Michael to come and do this show before the end of this month. Okay. So everybody out there, if anyone's watching, I want Michael to come on because he's got his own tribute to Judy yeah. happening this month. And we've got to get you and Michael together. Oh, that would be amazing because honestly, I think he just, he gets it. And he's just such a beautiful accompanist and singer. And it would be so nice to pair up with someone, you know, so like-minded and like-souled. And so, yeah, I guess that would definitely be a bucket list for me. <laughs> well, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, what is the best possible attitude to have in this business? Be prepared, work hard. I have always said I used to, so when I had time out from performing myself, I used to run a theatre school in an agency. And I used to say to all of my pupils, there is no such thing as luck. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Right. And that's true. So when, and that is something that definitely my parents pushed on all of us is be prepared be prepared you are never the best you can always be better there is always someone out there better than you so keep your feet on the ground and um, don't let it get to your head and if something doesn't work out just move forward to the next thing um, and always keep your eyes open watching around you what's going on so if you're at a casting don't think oh well that's not fair she got it and I didn't think okay is there something I didn't do that she did do is there something I can change and use that you know the mentality to push forward um, and if you are prepared, eventually, at some point, you've prepared yourself. When the opportunity is there, you're ready to go. There's nothing worse than being offered an opportunity and saying, oh, sorry, I wasn't ready. Um, and I think that, you know, that day when the, the guy whose name's David King said to me, the producer, do you know Over the Rainbow by any chance? I had actually in my audition bag, which was probably bigger than me, I had every pair of dance shoes. I had extra resumes and photographs and I had a video of the potted version of a garland for Judy that I had done at the Palladium. I always used to carry it and I'd never used it. And this day when he said, do you know Over the Rainbow? I said, yes, actually, hold on a second. And I went and got the video and I said to him, if you do get a moment, would you please watch this? I didn't think he would watch it, but he did. And when I, a few days later, I got the job and he phoned me and someone from the office said, oh, Mr. King would like to speak to you. And when he picked up the phone to me, he said, oh, hey, is that Judy? And I said, well, kind of. <laughs> And it Love was it. because of that, that eventually he knew I was such a Judy fan and he was always a, a huge support to me. And I used to call him my fairy godfather because he seems to have appeared throughout my life when <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I've got no work. And then David appears. Um, so he was a big support for me. And I kept saying, I've got this idea for this show. I've got this idea for the show. And I'd actually gone to watch Lorna Luft when she performed the songs my mama taught me. And. I said to David at the time, I think you should think about using Lorna Luft in the show idea I've got. And it didn't happen. And then years later, he said to me, so I've got Lorna Luft and I'm going to do this show. Will you vocal coach it? And then that's it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Um, are you a pet person? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So at present, um, we have two kittens and a parrot. <laughs> oh, okay. Yesterday was National P uh, Parrot Day. So. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I have okay. to let Peanut know. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, and we've got two kittens. We did. Um, I've always had animals. I, when I was younger, we've actually got a, a family tortoise. So that may be one of the most unusual pets you hear of. Um, called Tommy, 
and Tommy is older than me and huge, just grows every year, is huge. Um, and bizarrely, very fast. A tortoise is much quicker than you know. <laughs> oh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, now, uh, to wrap things up today, um, I have a calendar uh, that my friend Howard Tucker sent me. Uh, and it's uh, Daily Acts of Kindness. And I love this calendar. And I pulled uh, one of uh, the random acts of kindness today. And I want to put out a shout out to Dinah, your sister, uh, because she brought us together. So I want to thank her for this. Um, I hope she's watching. And if not now, later. Um, and I want to ask, uh, this says, do a task for someone else that they don't like to do. So is there something that you know that Dinah does not like to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what is that? She's going to kill me. She does not love the housework, bless her. She's not a big person for the housework. Her husband is great at the housework. She's not so good with the housework. So, so Becky, um, this is what I'm going to ask you, either that you would do it for her for one day yeah. or send a maid service to do it for her. Absolutely. I will more than happily do that. That'll be and great. And <laughs> let me know how it goes. Will you do that? I will. I'll get a video. <laughs> okay. Do a video and send it to me. Don't okay. go anywhere for a moment. We're going to give away uh, a copy of your CD. And this is how this goes here. So, and we'll see who the winner is. I love seeing my friends pop up here. We'll see who the winner is. Doug McAllister. Oh, yay, and Doug yay. and I had a wonderful conversation last night. See, Doug, you called me and wonderful things happen. So uh, that's wonderful. Don't you go send anywhere. some of that my way, Richard? <laughs> yes, yes. So, Doug, don't go anywhere for a moment. Uh, I want everyone to stick around. Uh, and, Becky, I'll put you and Doug in touch with each other. Uh, friend each other on Facebook. And, uh, yes, so, and then you'll be able to connect with each other. I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, like I said, all this month, uh, there will not be a show tomorrow afternoon, but on Friday... Uh, for my Friday wrap-up show, uh, I'm going to have five people, five mystery guests, and we're all going to be celebrating Judy Garland. So tune in to find out who those mystery guests are. There is a connection, so you'll have to tune in. Uh, I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, even though you're leaving comments here, it's very important that you leave a comment on YouTube after the show uh, because that will increase the ranking of this video and this will bring more people uh, to put Becky on their radar and vice versa. So please do that. Uh, and please, uh, as I always do with every show, share this with your friends. I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the fourth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Uh, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call and let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, as my dear friend, Sean Moniger says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. Uh, remember, today is don't give up the ship day. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a ship or a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. Now, Becky, this has been a real treat for me. And I'm going to leave the screen right now, and you're going to have the final word. Anything okay. you want to say about anything that we talked about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with today. And I cannot wait until our paths cross physically. 
Uh, I can't wait to be in the audience cheering you on. And uh, it's all yours. It's all yours. Thank, thank you so much, Richard. Obviously, I'm going to say a huge, huge thank you for Richard for having me on the show today. And also a massive thank you to my sister Dinah for putting us in touch. Mwah, love you lots. And I guess let's leave it today as we're celebrating Judy. Um, why not this week go find a Judy record or a CD or an iTunes download, one of our old films, and just sit back with the popcorn, put your feet up and watch our girl perform and just enjoy every moment. And I'm sending you all lots of love. If you do want to reach out and drop me a message, do so. And I'll try to get back to you all. And um, I'm going to send you all lots of love and hope you stay safe and well. And I hope to see some of you in live performances very, very soon. You've been amazing. Bye-bye.